This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hello and welcome to Little Gold Men, the award season podcast from Vanity Fair. It's such an honor to present this next award. And here are the nominees. And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar goes to... And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. I'm the king of the world. There's a mistake. Moonlight, you guys won Best Picture. I'm Katie Ritchie, the deputy editor of VanityFair.com, and I'm here with our chief critic, Richard Lawson. Hello. And our senior writer, Joanna Robinson. Hi, Katie. We are back from our holidays. I hope you all enjoyed our interviews with Jack Rayner and Lynn Shelton last week. It was really fun for me to talk to Lynn, really fun for me to listen to Richard talk to Jack Rayner, and then uh, look at Jack's Instagram, which made me feel incredibly stupid for all of the movies that I have not seen that he knows everything about. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it'll make me less scared of Midsommar when I finally work up the guts to see it. Anyway, we're back, and we are really close to the Emmy nominations announcements, which will be out next Tuesday. We're going to have a special episode talking about them right after they happen. Uh, So this is the week to predict what's actually going to get nominated, as we've been talking about for months. Um, But there's a couple little movie things we wanted to talk about before we get into that. And um, this week is the release of Lulu Wang's The Farewell, which has been really, I think, probably the most successful movie out of Sundance, or like buzz-wise, like people just adored it. And Richard, you're the only one one of us who's seen it, so I kind of just wanted to give you a chance to, I don't know, tell everyone how great The Farewell is. Yeah, I think if there's going to be a sleeper indie hit of the summer, which um, we've not really had yet, although I guess Midsummer could count uh, on that regard, The Farewell would be it because it's got stuff to please those looking for artistry and interesting casting and filmmaking. Uh, but also it's a crowd pleaser family dramedy with, you know, Aquafina's popular actress from Ocean's 8 and other things. So I think it, it satisfies two different needs that people might have in this pretty dull movie summer. So I, I have high hopes for it, um, you know, hopes all the way that could, you know, to the Oscars, because I think its screenplay, at least, um, could be a thing. Although I know Mike is also agitating for an acting uh, nomination. Was it Aquafina who had the acting buzz, or was it someone else in the cast? Well, Aquafina, yeah, maybe, but really, I think the one that... um, Mike is is into is Shujin Zhao, who plays the grandmother, who um, is the centerpiece of the story and in some ways of the film. Uh, And I think that would be really exciting because she really is great. I believe she's a first time actress, which is, well, at least it's just her first credit on IMDb. So that could be kind of of a cool narrative. So like Uh, a Yelitsa Aparicio situation all over again? Yeah, yeah. Something along those lines. Sure. and I, I mean, I could see it because it's hard not to fall in love with her character. You know, the movie roughly is about a family all descending on in, in you know, their home city in China, Aquafina's character from from New York City, to celebrate a wedding ostensibly, but actually the grandmother's dying. And I guess it is tradition in parts of China. If an elder person is dying of a disease, you just don't tell them. Um, so they don't, you know, so they're not you know, like constantly, uh, you know, facing death in the face. And so it's a it's a funny premise. It's a sad premise. It's a true premise based on something that actually happened to writer director Lulu Wang. And so in that you get different characters interacting with Nene, the, the grandmother, and 
it, it's just wonderful watching uh, Xu Zhenzhou, you know, do all that. Uh, so I don't know. I hope people go see it. Um, there was a big party for it in New York uh, this week that I did not go to, but it seemed to have been quite the event, <laughs> judging by Instagram, with something you pointed out, Katie. <laughs> Yeah, everyone, I, I I woke up in the morning and everyone I know apparently was in the same photo booth at the farewell party, which uh, I mean, it says a lot about, I mean, a lot of people love the farewell already, so it's not like they're just hangers on, but uh, A24 really knows how to very niche market something like that and get a lot of people talking about it, which is really smart. That's what small movies like this need. Yeah, and I, well, I wanted to um, sort of follow up on that, which is, Katie, you talked about the farewell having sort of the most... I don't know, critical buzz possibly out of Sundance, but Late Night is another film that came out of Sundance with so much buzz, this Mindy Kaling Emma Thompson film that was picked up by Amazon for so much money and then just did nothing. And now to the point where there are stories that, you know, heads will roll at Amazon for this decision. This this seriously is going to make them rethink their film acquisition strategy, all this sort of stuff. So like what you know, what kind of cautionary tale can late night provide that the farewell can miss? Are these apples and oranges? Like, what do you guys think of those, those two stories? Um, well, and now I'm just quoting something I heard on the bachelorette, which I don't watch regularly. Happened to catch an episode last night (laughs) where (laughs) the the bachelorette was trying to make a choice between four, you know, guys who all look the same. Uh, and she was like, it's like apple choosing between apples and oranges and kiwi and cantaloupe. Um, so I'm going to (laughs) say that late night and the farewell are kiwi and cantaloupe. (laughs) Um, I think the major difference between the two movies, which is maybe a nuance that was lost from, you know, not being on the ground at Sundance was that The Farewell was much, much better liked than Late Night. It got pretty much unanimously positive reviews. Late Night, a lot of people were mixed on. And so I don't think that Late Night had really the critical momentum going into its opening as much as that counts for anything. But The Farewell will have a raft of support, not just because it's a great movie, but because it is, you know, and maybe this is a tired old saw. It is a really great example of what what representation on on screen can mean and what different kinds of stories uh, can be told when Hollywood, you know, widens its purview. So I think that um, despite Late Night's many advantages, I'm one of the bigger fans of that movie. I I think The Farewell is better positioned uh, to be a sort of summer um, thing. But but yes, that said, Joanna, like I'm sure that people at Amazon are having some dark days right now. Yeah, The Farewell seems to have, like, and we talk about eighth grade all the time as kind of the model for this, like something that you feel like you get to discover on your own and get to tell other people about, which is like the benefit of a slow release. I think Late Night opened really wide, really fast, which a lot of people credited as one of the things that went wrong. They spent a ton of money marketing it. Um, and The Farewell, especially for what you've been saying, Richard, like it's got this like heartstring tugging aspect to it. Like it, it's, it has an emotional pull, not just like a quality pull. Um, and I think eighth grade had the same had the same thing, which is part of what makes people like really want to flock to see yet. I'll be really curious to see. We, we talked a lot last summer about how much um, an impact um, MoviePass was having in terms of, it was called MoviePass, right? Did I know? <laughs> how soon we forget. I'm sorry, what now? God, Joanna just, when, when they're dead, Joanna just forgets them. <laughs> um, how much an impact MoviePass had on the, um, on the indie box office last year in terms of like people just feeling like they had more of a budget to go see these smaller films and word of mouth helped things like eighth grade or RBG or, you know, various things. And so um, I'll be curious to see when we do a forensic analysis of the year, uh, if there is a big difference in terms of how the, the, those indie darlings are doing these, those indie summer darlings. And um, 
I don't know if you guys have seen the sort of depressing midway, midway through the year statistics or charts that just show, I mean, this, this is kiwis and cantaloupes, but show um, the Disney box office versus every other studio. Oh my God. And like, it's, it's really upsetting to see. It looks like the and- line is going to go around the graph and then come back around. Like it's fully in a lap. <laughs> Every other studio somehow. Yeah, it's like that one kid in your fifth grade class who had like three rows of stars before anyone else had finished one when they're <laughs> book reading a chart. But yeah, so um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that people go see these smaller films. Um, I really love Last Black Man in San Francisco. I think it did okay. Midsummer is doing pretty well. And I hope this, I hope this does really well. So um, I'll be seeing it. Well, speaking of smaller movies, uh, I guess it's my best transition we can get to. There's a trailer out for the Judy Garland biopic, Judy, that stars Renee Selweger. We'd seen a teaser for it a while ago, and uh, the full trailer came out this week. It'll be out later this year. I, I, I can feel like I can say up front, it's not a great trailer, but that isn't necessarily the judge of a movie. It's really, I mean, I think this movie will live and die based on Renee Selweger's performance as Judy Garland. And I, I do think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in there. What did you guys think about that trailer? Well, Katie, there was nothing small about Judy Garland. <laughs> Nor is there anything small about Renee Zellweger. No, um, not that. That's very true. It is a large movie. It's the pictures that got it's small. The hit of the, yeah, that first teaser, which was really effective, and then you know, which is often happens when they have to do like the full two and a half minute trailer, uh, where you have to actually show people talking, and or unless you're Lion King, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it you're like, oh, it's just this, it's just this biopic thing. And Zellweger, who I am more than rooting for um, to have a comeback with this movie this year, their voice work seems a little too charactery. You know, which is so hard because she is such. It's like Liza Minnelli too. Like they are such characters that like any impression you do is going to sound crazy because they were so weird. Well, right. You know, and the thing <laughs> you is, just you just alienated like yeah. so much of our audience <laughs> no, by calling no. Liza Minnelli and Judy Garland crazy and weird. Oh my god, <laughs> they are they are beloved icons, but they are incredibly unique. How's Glad that? issue statement against I think the the thing hampering um, Judy's, you know, Oscar chances is that the Academy never gives awards to, like, crazy, over-the-top musical biopic performances. Like, that just doesn't happen. No, absolutely. They, right, know, there's right. no There's no recent history of it. There's no old history of it. No. Um, so, yeah, that's me saying that, like, I'm trying to be like, don't be too nervous about the renaissance based on this trailer, but it's not a great second step for that movie. Joanna, where'd you land on it? Yeah, I mean, it's hard for me. I don't know if I talked about this when we talked about the teaser, but Judy Davis has, for me, done the iconic like Judy Garland performance, and it's hard for me to see anyone else do it. Um, I also, along with Richard, am heartily rooting for Renee Zellweger. So, like, if not this project, then hopefully something... Like, hopefully this isn't, like, the one chance and then uh, nothing. I hope it's the beginning, the, the just the spear tip of more to come from Renee, but I'm not delighted by this trailer no did you guys watch the netflix series that renee was on that came out a few weeks ago that i I saw mostly in gifs on twitter um and i wasn't sure what kind of audience share it got uh what if it was called i believe yeah uh no i i i started it and i'll be honest it bummed me out (laughs) for for her so i was just like you know what just wait for judy um yeah yeah fair enough you know and i think that was what a lot of people did i I, that show um, i hear from people that that show dropped pretty quickly as a priority for Netflix. Um, Mm. Maybe I'm speaking out of school and maybe I'm speaking incorrectly, but that's 
that's what I've heard in the wind. So I, I'm choosing to say, well, forget that being part of the Zellweger narrative this year. It, it lives and dies all, by, by Judy. It's all about Judy. Mm-hmm. Well, Judy's set for late September release, which to me makes it seem decently likely we'll see it in Toronto. Uh, That lineup's coming out, or the first part of that lineup's coming out uh, in two weeks. So we might know a lot more about Judy really soon. I'm Chris Murphy. I'm Richard Lawson. And I'm Hilary Busis. We are from Vanity Fair's Still Watching Podcast. Next up, we're watching the new HBO show, The Regime. Madam Chancellor, let's keep the gloves on. This is not a confrontation. We're just saying what's true. Academy Award winner Kate Winslet is our chancellor as she leads a faux European autocracy in turmoil. We'll be watching week by week as the regime unravels. And we'll be talking to the stars along the way. New episodes of Still Watching will drop every Sunday after the regime airs. Okay, so now it is time to get our predicting hats on, which is something that we always happily do on this show and then uh, always embrace when we are wrong, which it seems like you're inevitably going to be. Uh, I don't actually have to write formal Emmy predictions for VF.com, Joanna. I know you're working on that. So anything I say here, you can hold against me, but I'll pretend I never said it uh, and I won't be held to it. So let's predict the Emmy nominations a little bit. I, I think we've talked over the last couple of weeks about how the top categories like comedy series, drama series feel a little bit foretold for Veep and Game of Thrones. But um, starting with comedy, what else do you guys see on the horizon that maybe you'd be excited about or you want to see try to at least compete with Veep? For me, I mean, there's a lot. This is such a good time for comedy um, and a competitive time for comedy. Um, you know, our colleague Sonia Soraya also helped with our predictions. Richard has some predictions in there. Um, and I believe Sonia did comedy, right, Richard? Um, I mean, I didn't, so I hope okay. so. <laughs> so Sonia's big is a, like the world's biggest champion of Barry. So Barry is like a, you know, a thing that, that we're kind of uh, putting some muscle behind. But like also Fleabag. A Russian Doll, like these are, these are great, great comedies that you know. Were it not for this being Veep's sort of like final lap around, around the rink, I don't know. Why did I try to do a sports metaphor? Oh, yeah, <laughs> the that works. Um, rink, yeah, <laughs> yeah, for skating. Um, I think uh, one of those Russian Doll, especially being like such a fun surprise breakout of the year, um, might have a better chance. What do you think, Richard? Well, I'm looking at Gold Derby, which you know. Uh, can be a help or a hindrance, depending. And I do see a few people predicting, I mean, it's just a few, uh, Schitt's Creek. You mm-hmm. know, it's down Ooh, six or seven it. on their list of, of possible nominees. Um, but that would be really exciting and I think would be another example of the Emmys, you know, being this big ship that's slow to turn to recognize something like, you know, only nominating the Americans at the very end. Uh, a lot of which comes from huge swells of critical and um, audience, you know, support and campaigning. And I think that would be what would happen with Schitt's Creek is that people are finally like, oh, right, this thing that, you know, it's a cult hit. It's not like the biggest show on TV by any means, but a lot of people love passionately. That could be well, really Well, it also sick. debuted on Netflix this year, which like all yeah. of a sudden mm-hmm. has turned it in, turned it visible in a way it never was before. Yeah. And I should apologize, actually, now that I have this platform. So I wrote about the show um, right before this new season premiered. And I was just like, yeah, I, I was sleeping on the show. You're right. It's great. And I have to begrudgingly thank Netflix because, you know, I wouldn't have caught up with it otherwise. And I, then I read a report, I don't know, for some Canadian website a couple days after that, that on stage at some sort of panel, one of the heads of programming for CBC, which, you know, kind of fostered the show into existence in Canada, said that she was like heartbroken to read that Vanity Fair gave Netflix credit for Schitt's Creek. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, no, that's not what I meant. All I meant was that, yeah, like you said, Katie, 
you know, with so many other shows, 90210, Friends, what all the other things that people are revisiting, uh, Netflix is, you know, is can help a show immensely. Well, it's not even, what's funny is Netflix isn't even like the U.S. distributor that's pop is like, it's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a CBC show that airs here on pop and then Netflix, like Netflix still doesn't even have the latest season of um, Schitt's Creek, which, you know, debuted earlier this year. And I know it must be frustrating for these networks. I mean, but like we've seen that with um, Riverdale for uh, CW, like Riverdale didn't pop till it hit Netflix, uh, or uh, you for Lifetime, and Lifetime, I think, gave you, like, wound up, like, giving you, or however you give a series to Netflix, Yeah, and then it, like, exploded for them, and then now Netflix has season two, and Lifetime's like, oh, wait, uh, oh, damn it, you know, so, like, uh, <laughs> you know, Pop is still hanging on to um, Shit's Creep, but what's funny is... I remember, I don't know if I've told you this, this story before. This is, this is uh, Joanna repeats stories on the podcast, but I remember <laughs> when Schitt's Creek had a panel at TCA um, and I perked up because I like Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, but I was like, they showed like some scenes from the show and I was like, I'm not that interested in this. This doesn't, you know, this looks like a kind of broad comedy I wouldn't be that interested in. I had no idea who Dan Levy was. And then uh, Jarrett Weiss, someone who now, who then worked for BuzzFeed but now works for Netflix, he was like, I love this show. And I was like, no one in the room cares about the show he's like yeah but i love this show trust me and so um, So you're giving Jarrett credit for all of this i'm gonna give Jarrett credit for that. i would like yeah. the yeah. uh programmer at cbc to give Jarrett weissman credit no i mean he, <laughs> like he was the only one in this in that entire room i swear to god paying attention to that show and then and now it's like everyone's everyone's eating it up with a spoon so. another, another crazy example of netflix giving a show a bump is and i think i'm remembering my history right is the walking dead Huh. That show premiered and it was like, okay. And then they put it right on Netflix. Like, that was when AMC was doing that. They also did it with Breaking Bad. It was huge for Breaking Bad. Yeah, that but, is yeah. a fact. It yeah. was definitely, but, but I think Walking Dead also like got a huge bump. Um, so, anyway, it's just a weird phenomenon. But yeah, I, I think, yeah, all credit to Jarrett for being there first. Um, no. But. <laughs> Uh, you know, I didn't mean that. It was just the. It was just funny. It's funny to think about being in a room with all these TV journalists, and everyone was just like, when you're at TCA, there are panels where everyone's paying attention, and there are panels where everyone's just like looking at their phone or whatever. And that was one where like no one was paying attention, and now everyone is obsessed with Shit's Creek. And I was just like, that's that's a sad day. You know what I mean? Like, um, I don't know. It's it's just fun to think about. It worked out um, well for everyone. But uh, yeah, I don't know if Schitt's Creek uh, will make it into the main comedy category, but there's such a groundswell of support for Catherine O'Hara to get a nomination. Um, and that would be, I think, incredible. Uh, so should we talk work. about comedy actress then, if we're talking about Catherine O'Hara? Sure. I mean, the idea of a it. category that includes Catherine O'Hara versus Julie Louis-Dreyfus is, uh, and then probably Lily Tomlin, probably Allison Janney, like that is a formidable lineup. Uh, yeah, uh, or Natasha Leone or Phoebe Waller-Bridge or yeah. Pamela Adlin or Rachel Brosnahan. Like, it's just a murderous row of, of talent there. And, so, and, and yeah. Christina Applegate for the laugh-a-minute comedy dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, yes, has funny parts. And Christina Applegate and Linda Carnalini are funny actresses, but, like, I don't know. That feels like a weird category insertion. But it's a half an hour, so that's why they did it. That's so funny. The half hour thing, the half hour rule really just continues to uh, get things. Um, I had like, I think a few weeks ago I talked about how I wasn't really letting myself get my hopes up for Fleabag, but now I kind of am. I feel like Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a decent bet now. 
Yeah, at least I think I said this before, but like at least in like some kind of writing category, right? For sure. But like, um, but yeah, overall, I mean, it would be amazing to see Fleabag uh, represented that way. I'm not seeing a lot of support for um, my fave Andrew Scott because I guess his part is not really funny at all. <laughs> but Olivia Coleman, you know, like fresh off an Oscar win, um, you know, might squeak in there, and she is absolutely one of the funniest parts of the show. So there's that. There's a lot of that fresh off the Oscar win stuff. I mean, I was I was doing the um, for the Emmy predictions. I did like all the TV, movie, and miniseries thing, where you get a lot of you know um, movie actors kind of moonlighting on TV. You know, you have Sam Rockwell, uh, Mahershala Ali. And so I was I found myself wondering, Patricia Arquette, to some extent, her Oscar was a little bit, you know, a few years ago. But I found myself wondering how much that counts for Emmy voters. And I feel like it has to a little bit. Oh, definitely. I mean, you think about when, um, like, the Big Little Lies crew was all, like, going around and you get Nicole Kidman. It's like, Nicole Kidman, she's got an Oscar. She's the person that we're going to, like, rally behind. Reese Witherspoon has an Oscar, too. But um, I think that glow of having huge deal movie stars in these categories still really exists, especially with, like, Mahershala Ali, who is just on the streak where he kind of can't stop winning things. Although that... Uh, movie miniseries actor category is really competitive. I'm not really even sure I know who would win in, in all of that. Yeah, I mean, increasingly those categories are just bloodbath. You know, like yeah, it, you and you know, I, I, when I was making my li- my short list of like the six for each, I would look at who was left on the cutting room floor, and I was like, Jesus, like the, like any of those people could easily win, let alone be nominated. So it'll be really interesting to see where the Emmys' focus has been. I think that for me the TV narratives of at least this second half of the 2018-19 season were Fleabag, which is why I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in good shape, and then Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, and I think Jared Harris, Emily Watson, Stellan Skarsgård, they're all going to get nominated in various categories. Um, and I think that show will win uh, for TV uh, limited series. What would yeah. it beat for limited? I'm sorry, I'm looking at Gold Derby now, but I'm just thinking about what, what competition it's going to... Fosse Verdon would yeah. be a big one. Um, yeah, Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects, which, you know, uh, that's, Sharp Objects is on, is on a lot of the Gold Derby predictions, um, and it's on it's on mine, but I put them on sort of reluctantly because I was like, as much as that show was great and, was and so good. worthy of things, it's just, I just don't, it was a year ago, I don't know that it has, I, I feel like if anything gets like bizarrely forgotten, it could be that. I completely agree. Like we, I love Sharp Objects. I like Sharp Objects better than Big Little Lies. I like it so much. I don't know why I'm comparing those two. Um, but uh, same but, director. Yeah, sure. That's why it's not. It's not because all women's stories are the same. Um, but uh, <laughs> the uh, it, it has it has been forgotten, and it's so it's so disappointing to me that Amy Adams could do all of that and get nothing is. Uh, a, a disgrace. I'll go ahead and say it. A I mean, this, this paste that back onto what we were all saying for Arrival when she didn't get nominated for that a couple years ago. It's, uh, it's sure. becoming a theme for her, unfortunately. It's true. It, it does make me wonder if we're going to get in. And I guess we're kind of sort of in this period already, but having TV work like the Oscars, where all of the prestige movies come out within the same month-long period in December, um, because if something like Sharp Objects gets blanked because it came out too long ago, whereas... Fosse Verdon, Chernobyl, When They See Us are all way more recent. Like, I don't know, they might all just pile on top of each other in a way that's kind of harder on TV than it is for movies, I think. 
And I think TV TV critics are already feeling that the May crush this year was like sort of unbearable. So, you know, Emmy is seasoned, tis upon us. And it's just so much harder to like watch all 10 hours or whatever of the Emmy eligible thing than like go to a film festival and watch all the Oscar nominees. So, yeah, God, uh, you know, so much time. <laughs> poor one out for the poor TV critics. Do we want to talk about if anything has a chance up against Game of Thrones? Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at Gold Derby again, just trying to see, like, nobody has anything but Game of Thrones really at the top of their predictions, which is hard to imagine. I mean, what are the buzzy drama? I guess Succession is the other, like, regular drama that's got buzz comparable to Game of Thrones. Yeah, Succession um, is in there. And, you know, like, Better Call Saul and This Is Us are, like, perennial nominees that they'll be in there. But it's just a funny and, like, absent year because The Crown doesn't have um, and Handmaid's Tale. Both are not um, eligible. Yeah. The, Amer- the Americans is over. House of Cards, which was the usual nominee, is sort of scandal-plagued. And so, like, there's some option for some fresh blood. Succession is one. I'm kind of hoping that Pose gets in there. I think that would mm-hmm. be a really, a really cool thing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's possible that the Television Academy wants to show itself as, like, you know, a little less musty than it sometimes is. So I mm-hmm. think Pose would be a great opportunity for it to do that. It also just um, debuted its second season, which is right. a great way if you're, if because it's the first season that's eligible, but that's a good way if you're kind of an older show to get yourself back in the conversation is to have yeah. a new season. <laughs> Remember? I know, that's yeah. that's the thing when we do this is we always have to like double check you know which season is being nominated because oh sometimes it's not what you expect. Because um, I was like, is it, I was like, I was like, is this Killing Eve being nominated for first season or second season? It's second season which is which was the less successful season i think but i still think killing eve and its lead actresses sandra oh jody comer will probably get in there as sort of a make good for the television academy overlooking them uh last year so yeah killing eve feels like it felt fell in this very strange buzz pocket where like it got really big for its first season while it was still eligible but it had to kind of build so that by, the, by the time the emmys happened the first season killing eve was huge but like it hadn't gotten there fast enough to get the nominations in place Right, right. The other thing that I wanted to ask you guys about, um, and I'm going to ask, I'm direct this maybe at, at our resident Ozark head, Richard, which is Ozark is fairly high on some gold derby lists. When I was making our drama predictions, I was less inclined to back it only because it hasn't been nominated before. I didn't think the second season was as well-liked as the first season. And I don't really understand why it's up there other than the fact that like maybe Netflix is throwing a lot of its um, campaign money behind it because it doesn't have like, it doesn't really have a shot with house of cards or orange is the new black. And so perhaps Ozark is its best chance at getting into some of these drama categories. Um, What do you think Richard of, of Ozark in that conversation? I mean, isn't Ozark the sort of the Kaminsky method? I mean, isn't it like, isn't it like? <laughs> but that's but that's Golden Globes. Like Kaminsky method is Golden Globes, and like Ozark being a Golden Globe show, I understand. But is it an Emmy show? Like I don't. Well, I that's don't know. the thing. I don't know. I mean, you know, uh, I, I a lot of people watch it. Is my understanding. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, it's well acted. But I, I feel like that's a show that will use it will, will be used almost as like filler. Like it's like okay, we got to get to how many nominations. Like that'll be one of them mm-hmm. um, because it's just like an easy one to vote for in a way, and also because it's very present in that I'm sure Netflix is doing you know at least enough uh, FYC stuff to to get it in the mix. I I would love to see Laura Linney get nominated for an Emmy in 2019. That would that would be fun. I mean, she also had Tales of the City this year, so she's in people's minds certainly. It's crazy that she. It's crazy that she didn't like. It. Jason Bateman got nominated last year, and it got a couple of other um, uh, technical technical nominations. But it's crazy that Laura Lenny didn't. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think of all the th- of all the nominations, I would like to see Laura Linney get nominated. It would be great. Julia Garner, I also like generally. Um, you know, for her work on across a number of shows. Uh, Richard and I had a conversation around whether or not her season two performance on Ozark was as good as season one. But like, um, yeah, Gold Derby has Jason Bateman, Laura Linney, Julia Garner, and Ozark in the main category. And I'm like, you want Ozark to run the board? <laughs> like, what's? I mean, not not to win necessarily, but I was just I was surprised by that presence over something like Pose, which I think has broken through in a bigger way than Ozark has. So. I wanted to talk about Pose because I'm, I'm really hoping that that is able to break through. It just got renewed for season three. So FX is clearly behind the show. And just looking at the wide sort of field of potential uh, nominees this year, when I was putting together my predictions, but also looking at other people's, is this is a pretty non-diverse group of actors this year for, for for some reason um and you know there are a few people here and there certainly um Ava DuVernay's series When They See Us has some great options in Nisi Nash or uh Michael K. Williams but Pose would offer the opportunity to um nominate some exciting young actresses who we a lot of people haven't seen before a lot of us haven't seen before you know and whether it's India Moore or any of them who are on Pose and are so good on it uh that said, what am I seeing as the potential acting nominees from that show? It's guest actor Christopher Maloney and guest actress Sandra Bernhard, you know, and it's like, okay. <laughs> like, so you're <laughs> recognizing this show, but you're sort of pointing to the more established uh, white people who have, you know, blown through the show. Um, not that they aren't great on it, but um, I don't know. I just think the Pose narrative is going to be really interesting. Um, and I would almost wonder if part of it is. And I feel like a nomination for that show in, in Best Drama Series would be the win, in a way. You know what I mean? Um, mm-hmm. Is because the season two marketing campaign with those photographs was so stunning. Um, yeah. that I, And they're everywhere in New York City on, on subway entrances and everything. And they just, you just they, they still grab my eye, even though I've seen them a million times. So I don't know. I just kind of wonder if that would have had any impact because it really is the most striking ad campaign for a show I've seen in a while. In a while. I'm seeing Billy Porter on a lot of people's lists for drama actors, so I, I hope that that means he has a, a good shot as well. Well, I especially because he's in our, you know, special awards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you had lunch with him, Richard. Yeah, did, you, yeah. you, the Richard so, Lawson touch is I what's going to get him there. I, 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 that was worth it in its own right, but, you know, that would be a cherry on top. <laughs> I, have, I have Billy Porter and I have... Um, MJ Rodriguez, um, sort of in my in my prediction slash wish list, but like all of this is going to bump up against Game of Thrones, uh, which I you know will be interesting to see. Like the nominations, I'm not worried about for Game of Thrones. It's the win that is actually a question mark for the first time in a while. I still think mm-hmm. it's going to win everything, but like there is so much um, ill will. Uh, <laughs> the narrative around it is is so sort of toxic uh, for the final season that I'll be curious. But so once again, they're running Amelia Clark and Kit Harrington in the lead categories. I think Amelia is sort of she, they both got uh, sort of screwed over by doing that last year. They they ran in lead and neither of them got nominated. Yeah. Um, I think there's a better case for them as leads this year. And I think Amelia Clark, especially, even though she was given like a very tough script, I think she did a lot with it. Um, and and her best work, I think, on the series. So I would be really comfortable with her getting a nomination. Kit also did a good job, but, but there's a lot of tough competition for him in the dramatic actor category. And then for supporting with the Thrones actors, I know people joke about Lena Headey like just standing in a window and sipping wine uh, this season, but she 
she's been nominated like every season for the last that that she's been eligible for the last like five years she's just an iconic part of the show i don't see her like not getting this final nomination i would love to see one for sophie turner nicolai costawaldo of course my favorite and then peter dinklage actually i think did a great job this year he's been kind of sleepwalking in some of the like he won for a season that i think he sleepwalked through and that was the one where he was like did i win this really yeah he was like really um (laughs) but this year i think he actually like sort of like woke up was like this is the end i will i will bring what i can and and did so you know like those are those are some of the people and like the main competition i see for peter dinklage is kieran culkin which would be a win that i would personally love um for succession so i don't know that you would know, be really a, fun there's a lot of good options but i it's hard it's hard to you know we can talk all we want about the the general perception of game of thrones but the way in which the television academy views how game of thrones changed how tv is seen in the world i think can't be underestimated also, Joanna, as someone who has stood by many windows, sipping many glasses of wine, it's hard to be good at it, and she is good at it because I'm a mess. So yeah, I didn't get yeah. I didn't get an Emmy nomination for it. I know. I mean, it's hard to smirk and sip at the same time. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new uh, translation of The Iliad that's coming out, Emily Wilson. Oh. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate. I'm, I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. <laughs> he can't stop. I mean, and, and bless him. I can't wait. Molto bene. Molto bene. <laughs> we hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. See you soon. <laughs> To stick with drama for another minute and kind of to go back to Netflix, we were talking about Ozark as something Netflix was really really getting behind. But I'm curious about Bodyguard, which feels like yet another show that Netflix picked up and all of a sudden became a really huge thing. Um, And, you know, I have yet to watch it, but I feel like I hear about it constantly. I wonder if that might make a stronger showing than we expect as well. The narrative is actually a little reverse. It was it was the biggest show ever in the UK when it premiered on the BBC. Um, and then it hit here slightly more muted. And I think it got an uptick when Richard Madden won the Golden Globe. And I think he won the Golden Globe because like that's the Hollywood foreign press. Sure. And they're like, this is the biggest show in the UK. Here you go, Richard Madden. Also, he's great in it. Um, but I was uh, when I picked Richard for Richard Madden for our little like something for our, our Emmys issue. And I, I think I messaged you, Katie, and I was like, my heart says Richard and my head says Richard. And you're like, do Richard then. I picked Richard Madden for that category because... To win, um, to be clear. Like to you, win. You, you're predicting that he's going to win. To like win. Um, over, I guess, like Bob Odenkirk, who's been nominated a bunch of times but has never won it. A bunch of people think like maybe this is his year. Maybe this is Better Call Saul's year. Um, but uh, I pick Richard not just because... He is good in the bodyguard, which he is, not just because he has the Golden Globe win, because he but because also he was so great in Rocket Man, because he's rumored to be Bond. His stock is just like on such a rise right now, I think, outside of my bubble, hopefully, as well. And also how 
uh, juicy and ironic it would be if he won and like Kit Harrington didn't. <laughs> like if, if Richard Madden won in the category and and Kit Harrington Rob wasn't Stark's like revenge. Yeah, yeah, Rob Stark wins. Jon Snow gets blanked. I don't know. That's uh, that's just something I've been thinking about. Is there anyone else from Bodyguard to look out for acting wise? I put Keely Hawes in there um, because she's she's also like someone who's been around on TV for a long time, especially if you're aware of UK TV. Um, and she's in a supporting category, even though she's kind of the de facto co-lead is complicated. But um, she's she's, I think, quite good in it. So I would I would keep your eye on Keely Hawes. Why not? Sure. Well, I wanted to talk about guest actor categories briefly just because I think they're extremely fun. It's where you see nominations for people who are like, oh, I didn't know that they were eligible for Emmy at all. And I believe they're still not handed out during the uh, major telecast, so it's something you hear about before the Emmy Awards happen. But when I, I was glad to see that uh, Gold Derby was getting into this because otherwise it's incredibly hard to keep track of. But one of the ones that I really got into the idea of was uh, Maya Rudolph for The Good Place. Love it. As the judge, which would be extremely fun. And also, I, I don't know if I'm, I might be the biggest Mrs. Maisel fan at this point, but Jane Lynch uh, had this great arc on the previous season as this really um, kind of fake vaudeville comedian. And uh, she's kind of up there high on people's list, too. So those are two people who I was rooting hard for. Katie, you don't want to see Kate Blanchett nominated for an Emmy? I mean, so I haven't seen Documentary Now, which is the, I don't know, makes me not get me kicked off Twitter. Tell me about Kate Blanchett's Documentary Now Emmy buzz. So her documentary, mockumentary, whatever you want to call it, is a spoof of uh, The Artist's Present about uh, Marina Abramovich and, the, mm-hmm. and the, that, that, that famous exhibit she did where she just sits in a chair and stares at people. Um, I mean, it's more than that. But And the funny thing about that, or the not funny thing about that, is that it's played very straight. And there there's a joke because it's so similar, but that's kind of it. Like, there are serious moments in it and whatever. She is typically great. She's doing an accent. Like, she's fun in it. Um, but my investment in her being nominated in the guest comedy actress category, which, you know, she's, she's, she's ranked on, on, on some people's short list right now, uh, is that she is, um, kind of dismayingly far behind on her EGOT. She's only mm. got one. Where's what? her, where's her G man? Where's, where, how's that G going to happen? Where's her T? Has all her theater work <laughs> been in Australia? Like, does she have like eight Australian Tonys? She's only been on Broadway once. And it was in a play that was not well received at all. Everything wow. else, you know, when she played Blanche Dubois, a performance I think I, I think that she's still not shaken. Um, when she did all the, uh, the you know, the the maids with Isabel Huppert, all that stuff, that's all been like at BAM or whatever, which is not mm-hmm. Broadway. So so she's only got the the O. And uh, wow. I think the, the E, you know, that that would be great because when, you know, I guess everyone else is going to TV, so maybe she'll end up in some um, elegant miniseries or something. But Yeah, uh, she's never had an Emmy nomination, which, like, I mean, you know, obviously she's a movie star, but at this point, like, most of them have Emmy nominations somewhere in their history. Nope. She's she's never done really TV so until now. So, so that, that's... Although she's playing Phyllis Schlafly in an upcoming series, so uh, if yeah. she doesn't make it this year, her chance is coming. Okay. Yes, and documentary now is an is an amazing series generally, but they're they're comp- the the my stealth person that I would love to see get nominated um, is Richard Kine, who is in this like spoof of the company cast recording that they did um, for documentary now, which is which was just like so very much 
for me. And it turns out every other TV critic is a huge Yeah, company it's like fan. the, the <laughs> nichiest hit in the world, but it was a hit for its niche. Um, but yeah, John Mulaney is, as Sondheim is great, but Richard Kind has this just, and Richard Kind has just been doing like great TV work forever. So like, it would be great to see him um, in there. But uh, he, he, he and Paula Pell both just sort of like steal that, that whole thing. Um, walk right away with it. Um, and then the other guest, uh, guest actor thing that I want to look at is is the SNL host. They usually like get in there and um I think Mulaney Mulaney would be a great a great pick for that one. Uh he he is like now my favorite SNL host um when he shows up, you know, because he was a, such a long time great writer for them. So he shows up and uh, you can like feel his hand on the various sketches and it's it's just good stuff. But there's other, you know, there's like uh, Aquafina or like you know various other hosts Sandra that could get in there. Yeah, Sandra O, oh, whoever. Um, Would this be for his Les Mis lobster parody? I mean, uh, like is no, that the, is that the same episode? No, or not? he did a, a he did a one. he did like a bod- New York bodega oh, the one. The bodega was, one, yeah, yeah, which is okay. like essentially the same concept. So yeah, yeah. Um, and then the other, the, the like weird scandal of the Emmy guest uh, categories, right, is that Peter McNichol is back in for Veep after he got like nominated and then disqualified at the last moment because uh, he had been in too much of the series. So they they calibrated his appearance um, this season so that he was in just the right amount to get that guest actor nomination again. So uh, it might be nice for Peter McNichol to get the win because I think he was like considered the favorite to win the year that he was disqualified. And he is, I mean, he's fantastic on Veep. So I totally uh, forgot that it happened. What yeah? What drama? What an Emmy scandal! <laughs> I know. Um, okay, I, we're maybe close to the end of Emmys. Any other big categories you guys are excited about? Any bold predictions you want to make? I want to talk just a second about Reality Host. Oh, yeah, um, that's right. Because, you know, it, it was exciting. I believe it was last year that RuPaul Charles won and Drag Race won for Reality um, Competition Program. And that was very exciting, you know, after like a dec- almost a decade of, of kind of guerrilla cult support for that show. It finally broke through the the membrane of, of public consciousness. Um, and this year, RuPaul is likely to be nominated again alongside Ellen for her really cruel game show where she makes people do stupid things for money and laughs at them. Um, <laughs> it's really, it's really like, it's like, it's like bread. And, it's, it's like something out of ancient Rome. It's, it's crazy. Um, <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah. It's sadistic. Um, Jane Lynch for Hollywood game night. And then interestingly, Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman for making it, which was a really cute kind of, you know, I don't know what you craft series sort of. And then well they're just listed as queer eye and then a princess for you know queer eye like so the 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 fab 5 would be nominated as one unit and and could potentially upset RuPaul or whoever else uh, which you know I don't know so that that narrative I think is kind of interesting you know uh, the Emmys were slow to diversify their reality you know categories and and now they're um you know they're actually rewarding stuff that people seem invested in which is nice. I just don't know why Jeff. Marie Kondo doesn't have more Emmy buzz. That's a great question, actually. <laughs> just, honestly, just imagine what she could. Bring. I mean, honestly, be, I, I just like to see her on the red carpet. She'll probably be there anyway. But but do you think she would like hold on to her statue or would no? She, like, she would get rid of get it. Rid That's of the it. crazy thing. She'd like <laughs> hand it to somebody on the stage and like let it go from her life. Well, as I said, we're going to be back to talk about the Emmy nominations as they come in uh, next Tuesday. Richard, you'll you'll be off in Los Angeles uh, receiving mm-hmm. your Emmy, I believe. That's is how that works. Uh, so uh, Emmys, Katie. Yeah. Emmys. So, so congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, we'll be back to talk 
about all of that. And in the meantime, you can find us at VanityFair.com with uh, the Emmy predictions from you guys that will be going up later this week as well. You can find us on Twitter at LittleGoldMen. And on our own, I'm at Katie Rich. Richard. Brian Laws. And Joanna. Uh, Joe wrote this. This episode was edited and produced by Brett Fuchs. And this week's award for the best description of Richard's upcoming trip to VidCon goes to Richard Lawson. It's like something out of ancient Rome. It's, it's sadistic. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a, a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.